in this series, Relentless Love, um, I, I need to clarify a couple things uh, about the love of God. I want you to think about the love of God in three different aspects. One, the love God has for God's self. The triune God, we talked about this in my last series, that God is Father, God is Son, God is Spirit. And those three, the Godhead, love each other in perfect unity and perfect love. There's the love God has for God's self. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Son loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father. And they exist in this incredible union of love. There's another way to understand the love of God, and that's God's general love for his creation, his created order. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his Son. God has a general love for his creation, for all people, and is willing to go to great extents to show the extent of his love. But there's another way to understand the love of God, and that is to those who have responded to that love, who have entered into a relationship with God through faith and faith in Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection. And for those of us who had entered into that relationship, there's a love of God that expresses itself in covenant relationship, in a promise that's pictured for us in the, in the earthly realm as a, as a marriage, this intimate relationship between God and his people. Uh, and, and, and so when I talk about the relentless love of God, I'm talking specifically, specifically about God's love in that third way. For those of us who have accepted and understood the realization of his expressed love through Jesus on the cross and have joined ourselves to him in that intimate relationship uh, through faith in Jesus. God has a love for all people, certainly. But there's a commitment and there's a covenant of love between God and his people have a relationship with him. Am I, am I, am I being clear about this? And so I want to talk about the love of God in that context. I think there's a lot of people uh, in church, a lot of religious people, and see if this hasn't been true at some point for you, that when you're doing good, you almost feel a little bit worthy of being loved. Right? And when you're not doing good, maybe a little less worthy of being loved or receiving love. Is that, is that not, have you experienced that? Let me tell you the problem with that. That is the, that's the child's response when they live in the context of narcissistic parents. When a child lives with a narcissistic mom or dad, they believe that they are good when they make that parent please, because after all, it's all about the parent. And they believe they're unworthy if they disappoint the parent, because after all, it's all about the parent. And so here's what happens. We take that misconception of love, misconception of family, and transfer that to God as if God is a narcissistic God. So that when we make that God, because it's all about him, when we make him happy, then we're worthy of love. But if we ever disappoint him, because it's all about him, 
And it causes people to live in a chaotic, narcissistic, oppressive, religious environment with a God who is relentlessly in love with you. Do you understand? There's something so profound about understanding. There's something so liberating about understanding God's love and his relentless love. That when I have a relationship with God through faith in what Jesus did on the cross, and I enter into this covenant, this promise between God and me through faith, if you've ever tried to do right so God will, understanding his love will set you free. If you've ever tried to be good enough, God, I need you to move in this way. I need you to act in this way. I need you to do this for me, and I'm going to try my hardest to be good so you do. Welcome to religion. Welcome to failure. Let me introduce you to God and his relentless love. There are themes and sections uh, in the Bible, where, 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 where Scripture really points towards a central idea. And, and, and it's important for us to know the context so we can get to the content. It's important for us to know the background before we get to the lowdown. And so I want to share with you a little bit of context. For instance, the first five books is all about the beginning. And it's about God establishing a relationship with his people and his covenant relationship with his people. The, the Bible has these sections in these books that are, that are focused towards certain themes. The book of Leviticus is all about the law of God as he was introducing this new way of understanding and living. The books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes really deal with wisdom. The, the, in the New Testament, the book of Acts has to do with the Acts of the Apostles and the beginnings and the history of this new church. The book of Romans deals with the legal relationship that God is establishing through faith with him. The book of John is all about love. We know from the Bible that John, it's called, he was called the disciple that Jesus loved. That's a pretty bold statement. Jesus and John had a unique friendship for it was on the cross when Jesus looked down as he hung on the cross at his mother at his feet and the disciple whom he loved next to her. And he said, woman, this is now your son, John, to take care of my mom. The gospel of John, first, second, third John, the central theme is love. The love of God and the love his kids are to have with each other. And I want to remind you what God's relentless love is that God has a relentless devotion to your highest good. And I know that's a tough thing to believe all the time because every one of us at certain points think, God, if you really did love me, why would you ever allow? This truth that God has a relentless love and a relentless, what it means is a relentless devotion to your highest good is so important to know and to believe and to have as the anchor of your soul before you face the fires of hell. 
you got to be convinced of this. Because inevitably, every one of us will go through those moments of life that are so dark, that are so difficult, that are so painful, that if we wait till we feel the fires of hell lapping at our feet to try to convince ourselves of the love of God, the fires of hell will always convince us otherwise. Right? Right? Some of you have been there. Little shaky and unsure about God and his love, and all hell's broken loose, and you're left sitting wondering, huh, I don't know if I buy everything I've heard. So to understand this before we get there is paramount. To understand what's said in Psalm 44, 26, the prayer of the writer, rise up and help. Notice what it says. It does not say, God, rise up and help because I deserve it. Rise up and help because they're mean. Rise up and help because I've been good. Rise up and help because I've been to church. Rise up and help because I... It doesn't say that, does it? God, I need you to pay attention and I need you to rise up and I need you to help me and I need you to rescue me because of what? Because of your relentless love. Some of you need to understand. You have a relationship with Christ. You got a relationship with this Father through Jesus' work on the cross. And you need God to rise up. You need God to step up. You need God to help. And you need God to rescue. And some of you have tried for all so long to be good enough to convince him to do it on your behalf. And the Bible says, oh, no. You can't earn this one. I will help, but it'll be because of my love. And if you think you can earn the love of God, you believe God to be a narcissistic parent. I hope that challenges you. So you've got to be, we've got to be convinced on the front end before we face the darkness of the night and the fires of hell. Otherwise, the difficulties will overwhelm our conviction of God's relentless love. In the book of John and the first, second, and third John, we read a lot about love. In 1 John 4.19, we read that fact that we love because God first loved us. He took the initiative. He started the ball rolling. And the only way we can love and experience his love is because of what he has already done. We can experience love because God has already loved. And the experience of God, get this, the experience of God is proof of God. Hear, hear, hear me what I'm saying now. When we feel and when we experience love, even on a temporal earthly level, it is simply a shadow of who God is because God is love. Love is of God. And anytime we experience love, we experience a shadow of who God is. This is one reason, by the way, husband, wife, why it is so vitally important of the love that is felt and given and shared between the two of you, husband and wife. Because when it's shared between the two of you, husband and wife, it is a reflection and a shadow of God's love for his people. It is intimate and is life-giving. And in the marriage context between a husband and wife, if that love is not given and shared and received, it's cold and distant and a chasm. 
The experience of love is important, and it is a great display of who God is. Now, please understand, I am not by any stretch of the imagination saying that any feeling of love is of God. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible says. It's not that love is God. Though God is love, but love is not God. Because we can love things we were never designed to love, and we can love in ways we were never designed to express. So love is powerful, but love is not God. God is love. So I don't want to mi I minimize what love is. In the New Testament, one of the many words for love is a word called agape. And most people would say that's like the highest form of love. So, so, so in the church world, we talk about like this. Uh, we're not talking about sloppy agape. Uh, we're not talking about like this love that has just become this mass approval of every feeling and desire and choice and decision. That's not love. Do you know what an apologist is? Apologist is someone who's married. Who says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. An, an apologist, an apologist, like a Christian apologist, is a defender of the Christian faith, one who defends the faith. And let me tell you this, the greatest defense of the Christian faith is the unity of love between Christ followers. Jesus actually prayed for you and me, and it's recorded in John chapter 17. And in that prayer, he says that all of them, this is us, that all of us would be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The greatest explanation and proof of Jesus being sent by God is the love that his kids have for each other, that we would be one united in love. Now, I have found that my analytical and logical arguments don't carry as much weight and power as they used to. Christianity is a logical faith. And if anybody tells you about Christianity, that you check your brain at the door and just accept everything you're told, they're lying to you, that's not biblical, don't ever check your brain at the door. Christianity is a logical faith. But logic, especially in this culture, is not always convincing. I have realized that you can't argue someone into heaven. And I have realized in our culture in this day, many are so frail and fragile now, they're offended by logic. Would you agree? And so there is a thing that is more powerful than logical apologetics. It's the apologetic of love. And this is exactly what Jesus said. That he wants, his, he wants his kids to be united and loving one another as he and the Father are united and love each other. And the world will know. That's our apologetic to people who are yet unconvinced. And maybe you're right now thinking, well, I'm one of those unconvinced. What we ought to be able to do is say, just stay around for a while and watch how we love each other and be convinced. Jesus was big on love. It was one of his favorite subjects. And one could hardly be a follower of Christ without pursuing love. Love is the ultimate bond of unity. Christians don't have to agree on everything. 
We don't have to all agree on the same hobbies and the same music and styles and sports and bands and everybody knows the Raiders are the best football team in the world and <laughs> U2 is the best band ever. We all have to agree on that, I understand. But here's the deal. Uh, unity doesn't mean uniformity. We gotta understand that. And though we differ in many ways from things that aren't necessary for getting into heaven, we have to be united on the centrality of love. Love of Christ, love of neighbor, and love of our enemies. Let me just push pause right here for a moment and ask you to consider, do you have an enemy? Okay, don't get all spiritual. It's the devil. <laughs> don't, like, don't play hyper-Christian right now. I, I don't play well here. My only enemy is the devil because I love all people. And the devil's like a lion roaring around. And he's my enemy. That's not... Let's be real for a minute, right? Like, have you got that person in your life who back in the day, they did whatever and you still haven't gotten over it? Have you got that person in your life that, that hurt you like you never thought you would ever be hurt by anybody? And there's still that pain and that grief and that uh, in your belly. Have you got that person that is just a pain in the mother freaking butt? It's just, I just, I don't want to be around them. I don't like it. The thing that ought to set Christ followers apart is love for those people. So let me give you, if you have someone like that in your life, one thing, because Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for them. So let me give you one thing to do. You got someone like that? Here's how you know you're a Christian. You start praying for them. I'm going to give you what to pray. Don't pray that, you know, God will con convict them and hurt them. And <laughs> so maybe some of you got to change your prayers. Here's what you start praying. That God will be so overwhelmingly and abundantly gracious and favorable towards them, they'll forget all about you. That God will pour out his favor, his blessing, so mightily upon that person that they will be so overwhelmed with how good God is they won't even give you a second thought. Can you pray like that for your ex? Can you pray like that for that one? This is the centrality of Christ for us, the centrality of love. Love of Christ, love of neighbor, love of enemy, and an unconditional commitment to one another. For the Bible says in 1 John 3, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Now, one of the difficulties when we talk about love is love is, in English, love is such a broad term, right? Like, we talk about love for a lot of different things. Like, we can, I love tacos. I love my dogs. I love my wife, right? I love good sleep. I love dark wine. I love a cold beer. But, but I say I love all those things. But wouldn't we agree that some of those things ought to be a different type of love than the others? And so it's hard when we talk about love because what are we talking about? Well, the same thing is true in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the foundation of love in the Old Testament is a Hebrew word, ahava. 
And, and what it means is to love. Human love for others, including family and sexual love, the act of being a friend or a lover, the appetite for objects such as food, drink, and sleep, human love for or to God, and yes, God's love toward mankind, individual people, and Israel. It's a big term. And because this term is so big, we need to look to God for what it means and how it's expressed. Because God is love. And so let's let God explain it in his word and by his example. Because of Ahava, God does. Because of this word, love, God does. Rise up and help. Not because I deserve it. Not because I'm good. Rise up and help. Rescue me. Not because I'm worthy. Not because I got all my stuff together. Rise up and help. Rescue because of your love. I have a relationship with you. You have a relationship with me because of that love relationship in spite of what I've done in advance of everything I do. Rescue. Because of your love. Watch in Deuteronomy 4. Because he loved, Ahava. Because of this thing, Ahava. He loved your ancestors and, their, and chose their descendants after them. He brought them out of Egypt by his presence and his grace. Because of what they had done? No. Because of something they created? No. Because of his love. He did. So one of the things we have to understand in the relentless love of God, because he loved us, we can then experience love and love. One of the things we have to understand that is that love relentlessly does. You cannot love. Now, you can give without loving. It's been extended to May 17th with the IRS. We all give without loving. But you cannot love without giving. You cannot love without giving. So love relentlessly does. Again, back to 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved. So because God first loved, we love. And because of love, God does. What does that mean for us? Well, what it means for us is if we love, we do. Love cannot be sentiment only. Love cannot be sentence only. Only. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13, again, the love of God that is our model. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? What does God want? Same words could be spoken to us. Fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. The, the, the anchor verb in that passage is to love God. And all the other things around that are expressions of love to God. What are those expressions? To love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to serve him, to keep his commands. What it means to fear God is to stand in awe of who this God is. 
to be overwhelmed with who God is, to be absolutely enthralled with his magnificence and his otherness, his immutability and his, his incomprehensibility. It's everything we studied in the last series we went through on who is God, to be overwhelmed with who he is and to walk, it means to proceed in life in a way that is, that is, that is, that is akin to his, to his word. It doesn't mean we walk perfectly. It means the texture and the contour of our life is that in line with God. It means to serve God. It means to work and have, 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 have functionality for and in his kingdom. And it means to guard and to keep close his commands. And all those four actions, to fear God, to walk in his ways, to serve him, and to keep his commands are expressions of love. So here's the thing. If I'm not doing those four things, I'm not expressing love to God. It's more than sentiment. And so the way love looks is this. My love for God is made complete through obedience. Oh my goodness, am I out of time already? Holy moly. Is that okay? Sean, I'm glad you're back. I've missed you this whole time, man. I miss you, my brother. I appreciate you. I want to. I want to. I want to live next to you in heaven. That'll be fun. <laughs> Sean gave me permission to keep preaching. So if you got to leave, he's about seven foot eleven inches tall, uh, and played football in college. And so if you got a problem, you get Sean. You stand at the door, and they got to get through you first. If I say I love God, it's got to show up in obedience. John says the exact same thing. If anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know that we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus. Love shows up in doing obedience. John 14, 15. If you love me, you read the next part with your mouths open out loud. Ready, go. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Love always shows itself by obedience. Now, here's the problem. Let me tell you what so many people's issue is. Some try to be obedient in order to prove love, or they try to be obedient in order to grow love. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that obedience is simply the outgrowth of love. And so, and so, and so obedience is proof of love. Love is not necessarily the result of obedience. And so here's what happens. People try hard to be obedient. They try hard to not do the bad stuff. They try hard to make sure they're doing the right stuff in hopes that they will prove that they love God. But the focus is on obedience. The focus is not on love and that's backwards. And so I'm going to tell you something that I don't know of another pastor will tell his church, but this is, here it is now. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to set you free right now. Don't try to be obedient. Some of you have been so focused on your obedience, you've fallen out of love. Do you understand? You've been so focused on, I'm going to keep my stuff together. I'm going to make sure I don't anymore. I'm going to make sure I do. And you're so focused on the obedience, hoping that will generate love, and it never works that way. It never works that way. I want to encourage you 
to pray not that you'll be obedient. Pray that you'll love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because what the Bible says, if you love me, then you'll obey. Not you'll obey if you love me. You love me first. Here's what it looks like. As you, lo- ah, as you love God more, you obey more. No longer are you serving a narcissistic heavenly father that deserves only obedience. You're serving a loving father who is relentlessly in love with you, seeking your highest good, and simply all he wants is a response of love from you. And the more I love him and respond in love, then actually the more obedient I'm going to be. Does that make sense? Some of you have tried so hard to be so obedient for so long, it's made you really good religious people and you're dried up spiritually. But here's what happens. When we love, we experience what God experienced, we experience what Christ experienced. What happens when we love, it involves sacrifice and an element of pain. God loved so much that God gave. And what was it that God gave? His son. You don't think that was painful? You don't think that was a sacrifice? Anytime we enter into a relationship of love, it will by necessity cost us. Obeying God's word is our response to his love. And as we obey his love, We have to love others. We have to love other people. And when we love other people, we're going to get hurt. And a Christian has to be okay with getting hurt. Do you understand? We have to be okay with it. But this is where the Christ follower is so different than anybody else. Because everybody else will run away from hurt. We'll run to it as Christ did the cross. See, Christ followers must love relentlessly even though we get hurt. So even though you hurt me and even though I hurt you, I will love you and you will love me. Now here's the thing. Jesus asks a lot of those who follow him, but he doesn't ask nothing of those who don't. So if we're going to follow him, he's going to ask a lot, and it will hurt. And it's exactly what the Apostle Paul prayed to experience. I want to know Christ. Yes, the power of his resurrection, absolutely, but also the participation in sufferings. His love caused him pain. Not only that, First Peter, rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Rejoice when you suffer because of love. Because it makes you like Christ. When you stay and when you love, even though you get hurt, it's like Christ. And when you stay and when you love, even those who hurt you, it's like Christ. And get this, now hear me. When you stay and when you love God, even though you feel like it was God that hurt you, you're just like Christ. And if you're honest, you'll admit that sometimes it feels like God was the source of your pain. Sometimes if you're honest, you have to admit, God, why are you leveling this against me? God, why are you, God, what are you doing to me right now? And when you stay and love God in the midst of being, when you feel like you're hurt, even by God, you are just like Christ. Why? Because Jesus stayed in the garden when he was being hurt and he stayed on the cross. 
the result of love is that we give. Not the leftovers, nor the crumbs. The result of love is that we give the best of ourselves and the best we have to give to, yes, even those who hurt us. It's a relentless love. And this is why it's so important. There are people in your huddle, in your 8 to 15, who are close around your life, who need to see the love of God by the way you love them. And there are people in your huddle, those 8 to 15 closest around your life, who need to see the love of God by the way you love the least of these, not the best of these. See, we are hardwired for protection, to protect ourselves, right? That's why we run away when we're hurt. We're hardwired for self-protection. But we have to understand, self-protection gives only what I don't mind losing. Relentless love gives even though I lose. And Christ's followers are called to different. So I'm not going to protect myself. I'm going to love relentlessly. Why? Because relentless love does. Relentless love doesn't feel. Relentless love does. And so I got two things for you. Caleb, you better come up here because I'm going to keep going. Get up here. I just want to give you two things. I'm going to wrap up now. I'm going to give you two things. You hung with me this long, hang with me a little bit longer. The one thing, because relentless love does, the one thing, one of the two things, is that we must relentlessly do. We don't get a pass. If we're going to choose to follow Jesus, we don't get a pass. If you haven't made up your mind yet, that's fine. You stick around and see how we do. Because we will relentlessly do. And we will relentlessly do for those who look like us. And we will relentlessly do for those who don't look like us. And we'll relentlessly do for people who have their exact same background. And we will relentlessly do for those who have a very different background. Because love relentlessly does. So we will relentlessly do. And one of the things we'll relentlessly do on behalf of is the Pregnancy Care Center. We will relentlessly do for Christy. We will relentlessly do for these women who are coming looking for answers and hope. We will relentlessly do for the daddies of these babies who may or may not want to be a daddy. We will relentlessly do for these little ones. And some of these faces we will never see. But we will do. Like I said, Jesus asks a lot of his followers, doesn't ask hardly nothing of those who don't. So because we do, he will ask a lot of us. And we will. Do you understand? Not only for President Care Center right next door, but we will continue to relentlessly do for our brothers and sisters in Mexico and Guatemala and Cuba. And I will ask you to relentlessly do on behalf of one of our churches in Cuba. They're exploding there in some of the most intense difficulties. Matter of fact, one of our guys there in his little corner of the island, COVID started running through it. So the government came in and arrested a couple hundred of them and put them in a COVID concentration camp, supposedly for their benefit. And abused them. And it's this little tiny church in the ranchos. That God has ordained. To help them be a light in a dark island. 
And so we will relentlessly do on their behalf. Do you understand what I'm saying? And we will relentlessly do for our neighbors over in Riverstone who don't want to be ranchos. I'm telling you. They think they're Clovis. Oh, they got a rude awakening. <laughs> Hope some of you are watching. <laughs> Don't you shake your head at me, Heather. Uh, uh, you live in there, I know. You're, rad, you're Madeira, Madeira, so you got no room to talk. All I'm saying is we, we're a hermit crab. Our shell's this big. We're not going to sell this place and go get some big property for millions of dollars and put up a fountain in a coffee shop. But we will start another church in Riverstone because we got to reach them too. They don't know what they're missing at Flipside. So I'm going to ask you a lot. Here's what I'm saying. We will do and we will do and we will do. It's the greatest apologetic of faith. And this by doing what is what brings reform. And this by doing is what brings real change. And this by doing is what brings the kingdom of God. So we will relentlessly do. And secondly, you're starting to play louder because you're hurting me up. The second thing we will do, here it is. Now get this. When you hurt, you will be convinced of the lo- God's relentless love. You got to do this. Some of you are hurting right now. I want to remind you of God's relentless love. And when you hurt, I want you to make this your prayer. Do not come to God based on your merit. Do never come to God based on your effort. Never show up at his throne based on, well, God, I was pretty good this week. I need you to never approach God that way because you have no hearing in his presence when you come to him on your terms. You come to God because of the relationship you have with him and you cry out like the psalmist, God, rise up. God, help me. God, rescue me because of your unfailing love. I probably don't even deserve it and by no stretch have merited, but because you love me, rise up. Do you understand? If you got a relationship with Jesus through faith, you stand on very powerful ground. The ground of God's relentless love. Won't you pray with me? Let me pray over you. God, there are some here today right now who need you. Who are in such a place. They know they have no hope. They know that if something doesn't happen, They're feeling the fires of hell. There are some here who need to be rescued. There are some here who need you to rise up in their lives. They need your help. They need to be ransomed, rescued, and delivered because of your great love. Because of your unfailing love, because of your relentless love, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would indeed rise up, that you would indeed save, that you would indeed help, that you would rescue simply because of your love. 
God, some of us are so sick and tired of trying to be good enough to convince you to do something. Overwhelm us. Absolutely overwhelm us and blow us away by your love. That you would choose to step into our condition. That you would choose to move into our situation. That you would choose to show up in our lives irregardless of who we are, simply because of our relationship with you because of your love. God, we're ready. We're ready. And we want to see you move because of your love. It is so profound and so expansive, so unending and so relentless. God, would you, for your name's sake, overwhelm a couple people here, just a couple people, with how relentless and majestic and mighty is your love. You broke down the walls because of your love. You went to the cross because of your love. You rose up from the grave because of your love. So because of your love, rise up because of your love. Stand up because of your love. Rescue us because of your love. 